Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, all right. Well, good morning. How are we this morning? Good, good, good. Well, it is good to be with you. I don't know how many of you guys got to see the sunrise this morning, but it was beautiful. Yeah, I was driving here to the church, and it was kind of one of those moments where God just reminds you, hey, I'm, I'm all in. And, and man, it did good for my soul to know that, that God just kind of gave us just a glimpse of His glory, of His goodness. And so I hope you were able to see that. For those of you who were not early, up early enough to see it, you ought to be ashamed of yourself because it was beautiful. It was amazing. You know, that's the one thing that I miss about West Texas. You know, there's not much, if anything, to look at that is true, but the sunrises and the sunsets are are awfully beautiful. And so I got to, I felt at home a little bit this morning. So anyway, it is good to be with you. For those of you worshiping online, we're thankful for you. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Now last, well, a couple weeks ago, we had talked about how Satan has a pattern. Do you remember that? We talked about Satan having a pattern of attack for the body of, or for God's people. Well, this week, we're going to talk about how when Satan attacks the body and he fails, guess what happens? He goes after the head. He goes after the leadership of the body. And this is incredibly dangerous, isn't it? Right? Because here's what we know, right? If you cut the head off of any organization or any organism, what happens? It suffers. Somebody said it over here. It eventually dies. That's not good. That's bad news for us. But the good news is that he has a pattern. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And so when it comes to the church, this is also true for us as well. And we need to be mindful of that. And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is leadership, okay? Now, when I say leadership, half of the room was like, well, I'm not a leader, so I can check out. That is not the case because we are all leaders. There's actually three different types of leadership, okay? So there is a macro leadership, right, where you maybe oversee a large group of people, a large group of, a large organization of some sort, right? Maybe you're a CEO or a manager of a big body of people. Then there's micro leadership, and that could look, look anything like leading or managing a group of people to, to being a mom who's in charge of some little ones in the house or a grandparent who's caring for people, right? You're a leader of a small group of people, But then here's where we make sure we get everybody in the room. There's also personal leadership, right? It takes me to lead myself to get up early in the morning to get in the Word. It it takes personal leadership for me to get out of bed, to get my clothes on, to get to work on time, to make sure kids get to school on time. There is a personal leadership. And so we are all leaders to one degree or another. Now, for the sake of the story that we're in, we're in the book of Nehemiah. So if you haven't been with us, we're in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a leader. He's a macro leader. He's leading a large group, a big group of people. And so for that case, we're actually talking more about micro or macro leadership. But I want you to know this morning that, that, that what we're going to talk about really applies to each and every one of us in the room. And so do me the favor, don't check out. And here's, here's why, Okay. Uh, it seems like every other week, and maybe you can relate to me on this, but every other week, it seems like there's another pastor who fails in ministry, 
right? There's another pastor who leaves the ministry altogether. And you know what? The church is suffering because of that. The church is suffering because of that. And so I want to put that conversation on the table as we talk about, man, how can we be all in with one another? How can we continue our goal of being all in knowing that Satan is, is already coming after you? And guess what? He's going to come after me. And so I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to discuss verses 1 through 14 this morning. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And you're going to see, it's going to be great, you're going to see three patterns that Satan uses. Remember we talked about, I think we had five patterns last time. You're welcome. I only got three for you this time, okay? So we got three patterns. Y'all had way more to look, at, look out for than I do. So it's good. There's three patterns that Satan uses when he attacks the leadership. Here's the first one. You ready? The first one is this. Satan attempts to single out Nehemiah. The way that he attacks the people, the way he, he attempts to prevent their progress and distort and distract them is he tries to single out Nehemiah. You'll see that there in verse 1. Look with me. The text says that now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. By the way, there's a lot more enemies. Have y'all tracked with that? It just started with Sanballat and Tobiah, but you know what? Now we've got all of the enemies. We've got an army of people against them. We've got a whole lot of enemies. It says, when our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. I love this. Nehemiah says, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. In verse 2, Sambalot and Geshem, they sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. Man, the enemy is relentless. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times he comes to Nehemiah and he begins to try to distract, right, distort what he's doing, what God's called him to do, what the people have, have called him to do, and, and, and notice what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to single him out, the enemy's trying to single him out, get him out on an island because he knows, the enemy knows that if Nehemiah's on an island, he will win the battle, he will win the battle. So the enemy is relentless. But thankfully, despite the, the, the relentless nature of the enemy, what does Nehemiah do? He recognizes it. He recognizes it. He stays focused on God's vision, and he refuses to fall into temptation, and he keeps working. He keeps his mind focused on what God's called him to do. He keeps his mind focused on what God has called the people to do. And he keeps moving them forward. Now, when I read this text, it, it obviously elicited something in me to, to really spend some time thinking about leadership and thinking about my leadership and thinking about our church and, and what that means for us. And in light of all of these pastors who have, have failed morally or who have just become burnt out and left the ministry altogether. And so I did my, my own research and, and, and I looked at the Pew Research Foundation, I looked at Barna, I looked at a whole group of folks. And, and what I found is that there is a list of what most pastors would say, hey, this is the reason why I have either failed or why I have walked away from ministry. And I want to share those with you. 
at the top of the list was family resentment. Family resentment. Oftentimes, family can resent the church, God, or the ministry leader because of one's involvement within the church. Man, talk about Satan's strategy there, right? Man, if I can get his people, his family, resenting him or resenting her in that ministry leadership position that, that they occupy, I win. I win. Fear of failure is another one. And listen to this. It's not because of fear, failure itself, but because when ministry leaders fail, failure can have eternal consequences. Right? Maybe all of them. I would imagine many of us in the room could raise our hands and say, yes, I have struggled because of a ministry leader. I found out something about their life or they did something or they said something and it impacted me. Right? When ministry leaders fail, there's eternal consequences. In some cases, financial strain, both personal or corporate, there's a lot of pressure when it comes to finances. Right? Some pastors are not blessed to, to be cared for well financially. Right? And so that's a struggle for them and their family. In other words, or in, in another way, right, corporate finances, right? If the church doesn't give to the, the mission of the church, there are people who rely heavily on that income. There are organizations all over the globe that rely on our funds, that we send them. There are people who live and die on what you, as our church, provide. That's amazing, right? But there's a lot of pressure there. When it comes to culture and technology, everything in the world is rapidly changing. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to speak into. But you know what? What most leaders say, they say, while all of that is true, it's even more difficult when you're pastoring a, ch pastoring a church that wants to hold on to all of our traditions that we've done in the past. That's hard. It's hard when the whole world around us is changing. And the church has to adapt. If the church wants to, to continue to reach people, it has to adapt. And when a church wants to hold on to all of its traditions, and, and as good as those traditions may be, it can prevent us from moving forward. And so some ministry leaders say, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth having all these people upset with me as we try to move forward. And so they leave. You know, most of the time in ministry, leaders are leading volunteers which is not a bad thing, it's a great thing, right? Especially when you have an influx of leaders. But the reality is, is that the church is facing a significant issue. It's difficult managing leaders when commitment in the church is at an all-time low. At an all-time low. And so to, to always go to the church and say, hey, we need more volunteers, we need more leaders, we need more leaders, it can become exhausting to the point of, you know what, maybe this is just really not worth it. And so they either leave or they find themselves in a in a different problem. Um, our consumeristic culture is another one that plays a major role, uh, right? How can a pastor care for the souls of the people that God has entrusted with, with him uh, when if he has hard things to say or if you don't like what he has to say, then, I, well, I can just get up and leave and go to the church down the road, right? It's hard to be faithful in ministry when if you just don't agree with something that you can just get up and you can, you can leave, you see how, how difficult that could be for a ministry leader? Well, it's difficult. It's, it's hard, and most would agree. But here was something that I found that was incredibly unique, and I think this is helpful for us. At the top of every one of these lists, guess what it was? It would be hard to guess. I wouldn't have thought it, and I'm a ministry leader. It was loneliness. 
It was loneliness. At the top of the list on why pastors either leave the ministry altogether or why they find themselves looking back years later and go, man, this is why I failed. It was because of loneliness. Now, what we know is that at the top of any organization, right, the the higher up in the organizational chart that you get, the more lonely it gets. But that is especially true of ministry leaders. Because oftentimes we expect them to be something that they are not, and we oftentimes will elevate them to a place that they should not be. What we've done is we've created this culture of celebrity pastor, right? And now we've got uh, podcasts, and, and, and we can at any point in time get on the computer or get on our phone, and we can listen to, to Chuck Colson, or we can listen to all these different people, Matt Chandler, whoever it is that you listen to, and then we can compare those people to our people, and when they fail or when they don't do or say what we think they should or lead in the way that they think we should or they should, we, can, we become dissatisfied. We become dissatisfied. And say Satan wants to get ministry leaders out on an island because they know if they don't have if they don't have people around them, if they don't have accountability, they're almost certain to fail. And Satan wants to keep it that way, right? Because again, if you want to put an end to momentum, if you want to put an end to growth, what do you do? Well, if the body doesn't respond, well then I'm going to go after the head, and if I can cut off the head, then guess what? The body will suffer. And it will eventually die. And so that's what you see, right? Satan tries to get Nehemiah alone. And when singling him out doesn't work, here's point number two. Satan tries to persuade the people against Nehemiah. So when Nehemiah stays strong, he stays disciplined, he stays focused, he stays, you know, right on task with what God has called him to do. And that doesn't work. He tries to persuade the people around him against him. You see that in verse five. The text says, in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time. So not once, twice, three, four, fifth time. This is the fifth time. When his servant sent to me with an, notice this, an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations that Gesham also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. And then Nehemiah says, so I sent him saying, no such things as you have said have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking, well, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And so again, when when Nehemiah doesn't budge, when he doesn't fall for the trap of Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest of the enemies of Israel, they go after the people under his care. And here's what they do. They try to persuade them by fear, by the way. Notice that it was by fear against Nehemiah. Notice it was an open letter. This open letter would have been read in front of all of the people. And in that letter, guess what it says? Hey, you are a rebellion. You're rebelling against the king. The reason why you're building up these walls is because you're, you're establishing in Jerusalem a king. You're establishing governors. Uh, you're, you're establishing authority here all so that you can rebel against the king who graciously gave you all of this to make all of this happen and thinking that we can elicit fear in them and distract and distort them away from their mission. But notice what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah, again, doesn't take the bait 
But he looks at them and he says, hey, but that is not true. Nehemiah knows what's true. He stays focused on his task. And he leads the people to do the same. And you know what else he does? He recognizes that his identity cannot be with what people say of him or what people don't say of him. His identity, the very person and who he is, is rooted in God. And so he pushes everything, pushes his future across the table and says, God, I can't control this stuff. I don't know what they're going to do. They can say this to anybody that they want. But at the end of the day, I need you, God. And at the, ver- at the end of verse 9, at the end of verse 9, here's what he says. He says, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands for the work. You know, when I, when I read the story of Nehemiah as a leader, I can't help but go, man, this guy's an incredible leader. There's so much to learn from, from Nehemiah. There's been plenty of people who've written great leadership books on Nehemiah himself. But then I'm also very well aware of the strategies of the enemy. And quite frankly, they're pretty good strategies. They're good strategies. You know, if I can turn his people against him, well, then obviously they'll live in fear and we will eventually stop the work. Jesus, he's a great example of this. I want you to think about this. On Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. Okay? All of the people of Jerusalem come out and, and they lay their cloaks on the ground as Jesus rides this colt into Jerusalem. Palm branches are waved in the air as they say, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then what just happens five days later? What do you think about it? What happens? Those very same people are yelling, crucify him, crucify him crucify him. Guys, this is leadership. This is leadership. This is, this is leadership. We, we praise our leaders when everything is going great, but then as soon as leaders make decisions that we don't agree with or we don't like, we're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And there's never been a time that I know of that this has been more true the last two and a half years have been great examples of this. When it comes to COVID, let's just be honest. You know, if we were to shut down the church, we close the doors, guess what? Well, you don't have enough faith. And people are upset. If we open the doors, guess what? Well, you don't love people. Are we I'm right? And so no matter what decision you make or no matter what decision you don't make, it's wrong. It's wrong. And in the consumeristic culture that we live in, if I make a decision that's wrong or something that you disagree with, I can walk away. Because I can go to the next thing that's going to entertain me and that's going to meet my needs and is going to meet my preferences. You know, in the racial tensions in which we live, maybe you can recall this. You know, if the church spoke into that, guess what? It wasn't enough. If the church didn't speak into it, guess what? It wasn't enough. If we talk about uh, racial discrimination, guess what? Well, then you must be liberal. But if I don't say enough, guess what? Well, then you don't care about people. You see the paradox in which we live as leaders right now. It's that no matter what you do, it's not good. And if you say anything, it's not enough. That's the problem that you and I are facing. That's the problem that that ministry leaders are facing. And so at an all-time level, all-time rate, they are leaving ministry altogether. 
You know, someone asked me the other day, they said, hey, Logan. I said, Logan, how, how did it feel receiving a standing ovation on November 7th? When I got to preach in view of a call, man, it was amazing. I mean, the spirit was thick in the room. I don't know if you could feel it. I was as nervous as could be, by the way. I could have thrown up right before. Yeah, it's the first time in my life where I have to stand up before a group of people as an interview and you guys choose and vote whether or not you want me to be your pastor or not. That's terrifying. I was as nervous as could be. But man, the, re- the response that I received, man, it was awesome. It was amazing. And then at the vote, it was just incredible. I've never felt so blessed in all my life. It was the most amazing experience. And so somebody was asking me, they were like, Logan, what was that like? And I said, you know, the first five seconds was incredible. It was, it was incredible. The first five seconds, it was the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced in my life. But then it was in, in God's grace and his goodness, it was like he just said right then and there, he said, hey, Logan, hey, don't forget what you just said a minute ago. On, on Sunday, they're praising his name. They're waving prom branches. They're saying, hey, this is our king. He's now come. And on Friday, they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And, and, and I don't say that because any of you have ever been dishonoring to me. Y'all have been amazing to me. I have never felt so loved. I've, I mean, I, I told you a couple weeks ago when y'all presented me that prayer book, which was just, it was so amazing. I, I just, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to say thank you anymore. I don't know how to say I've never been so blessed in all my life any more than I've ever done with you guys. But I just want you to know it was, it was God's gracious gift. It was God's gracious reminder to remind me that Logan... Your applause comes from me and me alone, right? Your identity is in me and me alone, not in a sermon, not in your ability or your inability to lead. All of that has to come through me. And it was a gracious reminder that as the leader of this church, I need to be rooted in his word. I need to be walking in the presence of his spirit every moment of every day. And I, I just want you to know, it was a gracious gift of humility that I think is, is incredibly helpful. And so back to, the, back to the sermon. We don't need to go down that tangent anymore. So Satan tries to get him on an island. Secondly, right, he turns the people against him. But then get this, here's what he does. Number three, you ready? He turns his inner circle against him. He turns his inner circle against him. In verse 10, look there in verse 10. It says, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, Son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his, own, his home. Look what he says. Hey, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple. Here's why. For they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. I want you to see what Nehemiah, how he responds in verse 11. It's really good. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away... And what man such as I could go into the temple, and hear this, and live? He says, I will not go in, for I understood and I saw that God had not seen it, sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat and had hired him. And for this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And so what does the enemy do? If he can't get him on an island, if he can't persuade the people against him, he goes to his inner circle. 
his inner circle, his people that he would be closest to, right? He convinces them to come onto his side. In this case, it doesn't take much. The text says that they were hired out. They were hired hands. Literally, Satan puts in the heart and the mind of Sambalot and Tobiah, hey, you know what? If you want to get him, go to the priest. Go to the very one in whom Nehemiah would have trusted the most, buy him out, buy his affection, and then by doing so, you can persuade Nehemiah away, you can elicit fear in his heart so that he will put an end to the work. Now, I want you to notice that even the priest speaks with prophetic authority, only Nehemiah recognizes the error. He doesn't give in, he doesn't give in to temptation, and so when the priest beckons him to take refuge in the temple, Nehemiah knows and he recognizes that he is a broken, unholy man, and to do so would put an end to his life. Would put an end to his life. And so in order to kill their progress, Satan tries to get Nehemiah alone, try to get him on an island where he can be defeated, right? When that doesn't work, he tries to persuade the people against him, and then finally when all else fails, Nehemiah goes after his inner circle, Those are the three points. Those are the patterns. And now here's what I want to do now. I want to take some time and I want to share with you a little bit of the way that I plan to apply this sermon to my life. I think this would be incredibly helpful for you. I want you to know that over the last couple weeks as I've been studying and thinking and praying through leadership and and you, quite frankly, and my family and what that means and and this whole theory of uh, or this whole uh, concept of being all in together. I've been thinking, okay, Lord, well, how can I be all in with them? You know, I've asked you guys to make commitments, and I've made my own commitments myself. Uh, but then I started thinking, well, 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 tangibly, as the leader of this church, what are some of the things that I need to do to be all in with us to protect me, to protect my family, to protect our church as we move forward? And so I want to share some things with you that I have written down that I have committed to. So here's the first one. The first one is, is I'm committing to remain focused on God's vision for our church and continue to work toward that vision. I want you to hear that. It's important, right, that Nehemiah was not working toward his vision. He was working towards God's vision. So my commitment is not about Logan. It's not advancing my kingdom. It's advancing God's kingdom through us here at the people, the people of First Baptist Belton. And so I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart is that I am committing to keep focused, to be disciplined, and to be diligent towards that end. Okay? Number two, I'm committing to walking closely with God. To walking closely with God. Pursuing Him each and every day. Seeking to abide with Him moment by moment. Listen, John chapter 15 is probably my favorite chapter in all of the Bible as Jesus calls us to abide in him. Man, I am committing to abide in him. If Satan's coming after me, and I know he is, I'm not going to run in fear. I'm going to abide in Jesus. I'm going to abide in Jesus. Number three, I have built a community of men around me where I can be open, honest, and transparent with. They have full reign to ask me any question that they could possibly ask of me at any given point. If I'm going to be on an island, well, they're going to be on the island with me. Because I'm not going to allow Satan to get me on an island. Right? When God created man, he said it is not good for man to be alone, and so he created a helper fit for him. We were not created to live in isolation. Christianity was not supposed to be lived in isolation, but in community. And and, and that, that applies to me as well. Okay? Number four, I'm committing to loving you with all that I got. For as long as I have it, as long as God gives me breath in my lungs, I plan to serve you, to care for you, and to care for your soul. 
That is God's calling on my life. That is what I want to do, and I am thrilled and excited to do that. Uh, But I'm going to be focused on what I believe to be God's will and God's good for our church. Okay? So those are my commitments to you. And now here's the deal. I want to ask a few things of you. Is that okay? Can I do that? Is that fair? All right. I put my cards on the table, so I'm going to ask you to do the same. All right? We all in? All right. Okay. Three of you are good. All right. Here we go. All right. Now, so, so here's what I ask from you, okay? All right, so first and foremost, I need you guys. I need you as First Baptist Belton, okay? I need y'all to recognize who the true head of this body really is. We talked about Satan goes after the head, the body suffers and will eventually die. Guess what? I'm not the head. Jesus is. Paul makes it very clear that Jesus is the head of this body. I get the gracious gift of leading this church, this wonderful church, and man, I am, again, I am thrilled to death to do it. I've never felt so honored in all my life. I'm so honored to do that. But Jesus is the head. And so if something happens to me, your faith does not rest on me. Okay? It rests on Christ and Him crucified, and He has been resurrected from the dead, and He tells us that there is absolutely nothing that can put an end to His church, not even the gates of Hades can stop you. Okay, so you need to know that, you need to hear that that, I, that, that, that this church does not rise and fall on Logan Reynolds. It just doesn't. Number two, I'm going to ask that you would allow me to lead in my armor. Maybe you recall the story of David and Goliath. It's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Maybe it is yours too. From a kid all the way to now, I still love that story. Maybe you recall David, right? He goes up to, to King Saul and he says, hey, Saul, you know what? I can take that giant. And what does Saul do? Saul takes his armor and he tries to put it on David, right? But guess what? He's too small because he's just a boy, right? Sword's too heavy. Helmet sits on his head. He can't see. And so what does he do? He sheds the armor. He picks up a slingshot, grabs a couple stones, and he goes out and he defeats that giant. Listen, guys, I only know how to be me. I don't know how to be Pastor Andy. I don't, and I love him. You, you, you could not believe how much I love and respect that man. He has been such a gracious mentor for me, a great friend, and we've got a great partnership, and I can't wait for as long as I have him to get to partner in ministry with him. But I can't be him. I only know how to be me, right? I'm not a suit and tie kind of guy. It's not because I don't love the Lord. It's not because that, you know, I, I feel that, and it's not because that I, I don't want to give him my best. Quite frankly, it's because when I was in high school, I broke my neck, and I broke my C7 vertebrae, and and a tie sits right there on that bone, and it kills me. It gives me a headache. Sometimes a jacket does the same, and so it's not because I don't love the Lord. It's just simply because it's just not comfortable. Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. So I promise you, it's, it's not because of some of our assumptions or things that we think. I promise you, it's really not, okay? So allow me to lead in my armor. Number three, I'm going to ask you, like Paul asked the people, the church at Corinth. He said, hey, hey, church at Corinth, you guys are a mess, by the way. That's what he says. Yeah, people will say, oh, we need to be like the early church. No, we don't. Have you read 1 Corinthians? It's bad. It's bad. But he tells them, he says, hey, church in Corinth, he said, hey, do me a favor. Follow me as, as, as I follow Christ. And so I would ask you to do the same. Hey, follow me. Trust me. Please, just follow me right? But when we do that, please don't forget Romans 7. Okay, y'all know Romans 7? That's that great passage, one that always brings me great comfort when Paul says, you know what, sometimes 
man, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I failed to do it. You know what? And, and sometimes I know what I shouldn't do, and I stumble that way too. You need to hear this from me, that I am broken. I am a sinner just like you. We are all sinners in this room, right? Paul would say, wretched sinner that I am, I am of the, most, the, the greatest of all sinners. And you know what? He was the great, greatest missionary that's ever walked the, the, this planet. Listen, I am certainly no Paul. <laughs> I wish I was. But my commitment to you is that I would follow Jesus and that every day I look more and more and more and more like Jesus until he comes and takes me home. But I'm broken, and you need to know that. And that leads me to the next thing. Please don't put me on a pedestal. Please don't put my family on a pedestal. Listen, we will fail you every time. I cannot bear the weight of your worship, right? Any more than you can bear the weight of my worship. And so please, allow me the freedom to lead. Allow me the freedom to lead us. But then be willing to extend grace, would you? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Number four, I want you to remember Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. By the way, for a pastor, that is the most daunting verse in the entire Bible. You want to know why? Because in that, in that, it's just terrible. In that verse, here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says that those who God places as the, in the role of pastor over a church or over a body of people, he says they are responsible for the care of your souls as those who will be held accountable. I don't know a single job description on the face of this earth that anyone will have to stand before God and be accountable not only for them, but also for an entire people. And there's a lot of people in this room. Okay? So if I'm going to stand and, and, and be accountable for you and accountable for your soul, what you have to know is that every decision, every thought, everything I try to do as your pastor has gone through that filter of what is best for your soul, right? I promise you the things that I say, the things that I do are not things that I thought of on my way here. There are things that I have prayed over. Oftentimes, there are things I have fasted over. There's things that I've got plenty of people that I have run everything through before it ever even gets to you. And so I've got plenty of people who say, Logan, you'd be crazy to say that. Logan, you'd be crazy to do that, right? Because it goes through a great filter so that when it comes to you, Lord willing, it is blessed by God, okay? Because it's God's will. That's my desire. That's my intent is to care for your soul. And then number four, or then number five. Number five, please, 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 don't assume that you know, uh, that what you know or what you think is true, okay? You know, I, I know I've talked to a handful of you. I, I had the opportunity to stumble uh, into the, the hallway the other day, and I, and I got to talk to some of our friends that come to our church, and, and they were concerned about the altar call. Listen, here's what I want you to know, right? If you were in my living room, this is what we would talk about. I promise you, because we have changed the way that we're doing the altar call does not mean that I don't want people to come to know Christ. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, I want more people to come to know Christ. I want thousands of people to come to know Christ. But here's the deal. Here's the reason why I did that. I did that so that we would have some meaningful time at the end of the service where I can get to know them. I can put my eyes on them and I can say, hey, I see you, I know you, I love you. And I want to ensure that when we do that, that when I present them to the church, we know that they have said, you know what, yes, I want to follow Jesus. We, we have churches filled with people who are not followers of Jesus because we have allowed them into membership. 
we are not going to be one of those churches. Lord willing, we, we are going to ensure that those who come down front have said, you know what, I have made a decision to follow Jesus, and that gives us plenty of time to counsel them, care for them, pray with them. The way we were doing before, we only had about 30 seconds to do so, and we're fumbling and trying to get all the stuff together, and then by the end of that, I'm going, man, I don't even know what their name is. You see where my heart is there? You see where my heart is? So, so try not to, if, if at all possible, Right? If you assume that, just shoot me an email. Call me. Text me. Talk to the elders. I've done a, a poor job, quite frankly, of communicating with the elders and some different things. I'll just, cars on the table. I haven't done a great job there. But I'm working on it, and I'm trying to get better. So if you want to talk to them, talk to them. They'll know my heart. Talk to the staff. They know my heart. Right? Talk to the people who, who, are, who are in kind of that, the staff, deacon, elder circle, and they'll know my heart. I think they'll be able to help you out. Okay? Listen, I'm all in with you. I hope you're all in with me. I love you guys. I can't wait for what God is going to do in the future with us and our church. And so listen, thank you for taking a chance on me. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. Um, like Hebrews 13, said, 13 says, man, I am thrilled to get to care for your soul. And so Lord willing, when Satan attacks and he's going to, he's going to attack you, he's going to attack me. We're going to be all in together and we're going to push against him together. It won't be one, it won't be uh, just a few of us. We're going to be all in together as we push against the darkness and say, you know what, Satan, not here. There's a great t-shirt that says, not today, Satan. Right? There's a, that's a great t-shirt. Not today, Satan. Not tomorrow, Satan. Not next year. Not in our future. We're going to keep moving forward. I love you and I'm thankful for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a, a time of congregational prayer, okay? So for all of us in the room, I want every, hair, every head bowed, every eye closed as we just go to the Lord and ask him to do some work on our hearts. This morning, I just want you to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and I want you to spend some time and I want you to just praise that God, when, praise God that when all is said and done, he is in control over our church, that not even the gates of Hades can prevail over it, over it, that this is God's church. And in Jesus Christ, it is unstoppable. I want you just to take some time and just take a deep breath and just, just thank God, praise God for that truth, that reality. And now I just want you to spend some time and just a time of confession of saying, God, what is it that I need to deal with this morning? What is it that I need to lay down at the foot of the cross? If you have the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to you, he's talking to you. So, so what is it that just needs to be laid down at the foot of the cross and say, God, I just need to give you control over this. Now, finally, I just want you to take some time. I want you just to surrender our church to God. Say, so God, you know First Baptist Belton. You know us. You know your people. You are very well aware of, of where we are and where we're headed. And so, God, we just want to surrender that to you. And then I would ask that you would just commit to praying for our leaders. Pray for our elders, pray for our deacons, pray for our um, committee leads and our committee members. Pray that God would give them wisdom as they lead our church. And then I would just encourage you to just to surrender to God's vision, 
Surrender to God's will. I'm doing the same. Let's just all surrender to whatever it is that God's going to do, wherever he's going to take us. Man, God, let's just say we're all in. We're all in. And God, lead my heart to be all in with you. Lead my heart to be all in with the people in this room and lead my heart to be all in for our community and lead my heart to be all in for the world. Help us to be all in with you. The worship team, if you go ahead and come up, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are in control. We're thankful that Christ is the head of the church. I am thankful that you, Christ, are the head of our church and that it does not rise and fall on our leaders. But God, the the future of our church rises and falls on the truth that Christ is her head and that there is nothing that can stop him. There's nothing that can stop us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us today. God, I pray that you would strengthen our hands, God, that when the enemy attacks and we know that he's going to, God, I pray that like Nehemiah, we would press up against him, that we would stay focused, that, God, we would stay busy at work for your kingdom. God, I pray for our leaders. I pray, God, that we would not allow Satan to push us to an island, but even on that island, God, I pray that we would have the people around us who are praying for us, caring for us, God, who are holding us accountable. God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that as you lead us in the days ahead, God, I pray that we would submit to that. I pray that my heart would submit to that, Lord. There's so many days where I have my own vision and I have my desires for my life and for the church. And and so, Lord, help me to submit those to you. God, that it would be your vision that we're focused on, that it would be your vision that we're working towards. God, I pray your glory for our church. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do. I pray that Jesus would, his name would be lifted high. God, we thank you for him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.